All right, today we're going to jump into a BDS analytics report from last year talking about what companies should do in 2020 to create a business product, what products should they create. So we're going to kind of dive into this report, take a look and see if it's still relevant post-pandemic. And if not, we're going to let you know. So it should be an all-inclusive report. You got to stay through to the end. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. To help me dive into this BDS Analytics report is Tom Howard. Uh, he's a lawyer in Illinois and also host of Cannabis Legalization News. Tom, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Josh. Happy 2021. Yes, happy new year. Um, starting off with a bang, right? Uh, or a coup. Yeah, that's, yeah. Right. Thing. All right, good stuff. So what should a cannabis business create? So again, if you're out there and you're deciding on whether you're going to have gummies or uh, infused coffee, well, spoiler alert, don't do coffee. So um, where to start? Obviously, cannabis is the fastest growing consumer product industry in North America. So uh, at the end of 2019, there was going to be $11 billion, $23 billion by 2020. Um, I think we came pretty damn close to that. So first steps, according to this report, when choosing manufactured product is choosing the right one. (laughs) So by the end of this, you're going to understand key risks and opportunities that are going to be in all areas of branded cannabis. You're going to become familiar with a range of products on the market today, and you're going to learn about select areas of branded cannabis that are expanding as well as encountering data that highlights important trends like concentrates. So obviously uh, a big, um, Seller right here concentrates the fastest growing and biggest business, <laughs> biggest cannabis category, uh, far surpassing flower, edibles, and topicals in terms of sales expansion. Last year in California, Oregon, Colorado, and Arizona alone, consumers spent $1.3 billion on concentrates. And with $1.3 billion in sales in the States through the first three quarters of 2018 um, of last year, could easily reach $2 billion. So um, definitely one of those things like live resin, uh, live mm-hmm. rosin, all those things picking up. Uh, they so. are. It'd be interesting to see how the, cause like rosins and, and uh, concentrates aren't the most sociable of the smokes. You know, they aren't like the mm-hmm. pre-rolls mm-hmm. that you can pass around. And so I'd be interesting to see the data on that. I think that's going to continue, but I really like when they always describe something as the fastest growing, it essentially means its market segment is nothing because if you mm-hmm. go from one to two, you've, you've doubled, you know? Yeah, that's like Bitcoin and Tesla and some of these other stocks that have gone parabolic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Um, So some of the consumers uh, that are into concentrates, um, average age 36, uh, 37% have a degree, a college degree. Um, 67% are employed and a little over half are full time. And reason for consumption of concentrates are 78% for for social reasons, a little over half for medical and just under half for um, quality of life. So with immense growth in product variety, concentrates are potentially strong candidates for new product launches. Um, You just need to identify the market. So if you're envisioning a boutique market full of knowledgeable cannabis consumers uh, wanting to go crazy for your high quality shatter or live resin, or instead you want to manufacture large volumes of oil that are mostly destined for vape pens manufactured by other brands, you're looking at about $200,000 for the boutique side and some some risks behind that being like, if your product isn't superb, then those connoisseurs aren't going to come and get your product, right? Right. Yeah. But then, you know, it does get back to um, 
how how much of the market segment is these? And I can't believe that 36 was the average age because when I think of people that are doing dabs, I think it's trending younger, like you know people mm-hmm. that are 30 and and younger. Uh, but that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm not. So I, I thought the same thing. I thought easily it would be in the early 20s that would be the average age because I don't see a lot of older dabbers that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I've had I've had a gram of the white like just sitting, and I just like looked at him like, oh crap, I have a gram of the white. Eh, I'm not really up for dabbing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't have a rig, but I do have a vaporizer that allows you to do it. It's it's an interesting market type, especially if you're the processor license. But um, I'm glad that it's not going away, you know, because uh, it's a different flavor profile and and um, sensation than I would say like having a joint, you know. Definitely. It's a lot more clear headed, I think, doing a dab. Um, and a live resin and rosin have kind of a, a more natural, like less, there's not the, the the carbons in there. So if you have CO2 or butane or whatever um, is in there, people are worried about heavy metals. And I think there's a perception that it's healthier to do live resin and rosin, which is why sales are uh, skyrocketing for, for those types of concentrates. Um, but moving on to some other risks about if you're going to do uh, bulk, uh, if, so if you're doing CO2 extracted oils, it's far more expensive um, than your competitors, then you're not going to go very far. So you, if you're going to go into it, emerge as one of the market leaders in commodity concentrates, then the payoffs are far in excess of what could be achieved by taking on a boutique route. What you have to do is nail the branding, marketing, and sales uh, and look at some partnerships, uh, somebody with a team. Um, and that's not cheap to, to get no. the right team. Think about how long it takes for you to create that network of possible uh, consumers, especially when you're just a brand coming onto the market. I mean, people have to taste your product and then they have to tell somebody about it. And then people have to like you on Instagram. And so you see some of these um, uh, brands that are coming out and they might already have 40 to 60,000 people or more on Instagram. And I think that's really going to be what you're going to see a lot more, especially as branding starts to scale through the usage of like IP agreements from one state until the other, because you'll have a new extractor coming online in state X doesn't really understand the product that much, doesn't really have a brand at all. This other uh, extractor product can come in you know, teach them how to do actually a really high quality job, slap their brand on there. And then that extractor license is actually selling product. So I think you're going to see a lot of that synergy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And you got to crush it with your supply chain as well. So uh, taking a look at the, the glossary of vape, um, you know, vaping with vape pens, you have wax, a pliable form, uh, live resin, uh, that involves storing and extracting frozen cannabis and then shatter, which is not my favorite because it shatters everywhere and I'm frugal. So there you go. But total sales, $1.26 billion in total category sales concentrates. Uh, and this is just Arizona, California, Oregon, and Colorado from January to September of 2018. So this is before even the huge ramp up. I'm sure these numbers yeah. have, have doubled more than that. At least. Oh, yeah. I mean, like... Uh, you need supply to be able to really do concentrates. And so Illinois doesn't have a very good supply. Michigan, I'm sure concentrates are probably really taking off because their supply is coming up uh, to where it is more on the West Coast. But, you know, as Illinois hopefully gets some licenses out there and more product in the, in the, in the I guess I could say streets, uh, they could then, you know, hopefully get more of these types of 
um, products on there. Cause like right now, if I want to go buy uh, a gram of shatter or wax or whatever, it's going to be North of 60 bucks. It might yeah. be between 60 and $80 for a gram. That's almost cost prohibitive. I mean, how many dabs, how many real good rips out of a dab do you get for a gram? Well, some people just do one, one gram dabs, you know, but that's I've the same thing. That. I've heard that. You want me to spend 80 bucks on a, on a, on a rip? I don't know about that. man. Yeah. When California first came out in 2017, uh, their dabs were 60 to $80 a gram too. So same thing with every other new rollout. It's price gouging, but that's going to come down as soon as, you know, competition gets out there. But yeah, that's tough for you, man, to have to put up with those prices. No, thanks. Mm-mm. I'm good on that. Well, let's uh, let's switch. Fo- so uh, let's recap this. Concentrates is it good for a company? No matter where you're at, I'm in Washington. You're in Illinois. Would you advise any um, emerging state like you know Arizona or New Jersey to carry concentrates? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to have a trim ratio. So you, you you pull down that weight and 30 to 50% of it needs to go into an extractor. Or if you've messed up a, a crop and maybe a hundred percent, or maybe you're like specifically growing for an extractor. So I, I really don't understand how you don't uh, have the extraction and the processing license uh, in play simply because then what are you going to do with all that waste product? You don't want to, you don't want your pre-rolls to have like trim and yeah, I like sure. that risk mitigation. Yeah. I would also throw out there that if you're looking, you know, at, at New Jersey or Arizona, I would also look at non-solvents. So rosin, like get a rosin press because Oregon got shut down in 2015 uh, when the butane, you know, all the apartments in Florida were, or, or hotels and motels in Florida were exploding. Uh, they shut down all solvents. And so I would always have a solvent-free option, but I would agree with you, Tom, definitely want to uh, include concentrates no matter where you're at. Yeah, definitely in your business plan. Like you have to, if, you, if you're a cultivator, you have to speak to what the heck you're going to do with your trim. Right, yeah. yeah. Good point. So moving on to edibles, um, obviously we saw edibles uh, taking over the market um, earlier on the year with the pandemic, a lot of people staying at home. And so they're able to take advantage of edibles instead of you know topicals or tinctures or whatever else. Uh, so in 2018, uh, we saw in Colorado, Oregon, California, and Arizona hit 651 and a half million um, for the first time. So putting edibles on track to be close to a billion dollars. Candy is edibles market leader between California, Colorado, Oregon, and Arizona. Candy sales for the first three quarters of uh, 2019 got 44% of the edibles market compared to 17% for tinctures and 15% for chocolates. So the big edible story for uh, several years was gummy sales, and they remain the potent force, capturing 33% of all edible sales during the first three quarters of 2018. But tinctures uh, are fastest growing, uh, are fast growing at uh, 17% of edible sales during that time period. Uh, just two years ago, market shares for tinctures were in single digits. So edibles consumers, average age 38, college degree, uh, 42% have a degree, 69 are employed, uh, half of uh, full-time uh, reasons for consumption. 75% want to do it socially. Little over half want to do it medically and 41% say quality of life. Yep. Cannabis when you eat, it's for the health. Yeah. Long-term, right? Um, if you want something that's a high milligram, you can go for an edible. Hopefully they're going to go with more, um, you know, uh, nano, 
uh, tech in order to get the uh, onset faster, the bioavailability and, and the, the effects. The solvability in water as well. Yes, the nanotech uh, uh, business play. So if you were in the edible space, uh, it'd be interesting to invest in one of those nanotechnology uh, manufacturers. So like if you're a processor coming online, you're trying to differentiate yourself and then that might open the door for you to be able to do you know, you can put that fast acting so you could brand it and you can advertise it to, to stand out from the other gummies. But then you might also be able to do more beverages. Yeah. Well, beverages are, are probably a consumer number one, most expensive, difficult market. So unless you have millions of dollars, I wouldn't recommend anybody touch beverage uh, wow. with, your, with your friend's money. Um, but some of the the advantages of edibles is that you can be a novice. So cannabis novices office, uh, often turn to edibles uh, and you can create micro dosing. So like just five milligrams, not something that's going to get your heart palpitating and overdosing. Um, but the edible success, it's all about finding niches and exploiting them with fresh, exciting products. Uh, but you have to conduct in-depth market analysis and start uh, looking at features that differentiate your product from the competition. Otherwise, you're just going to be sitting on the shelf. You're not going to be going anywhere. And uh, that's an expired good, right? So yeah. unlike concentrates that might be on the shelf longer, edibles, those got to sell quick. Yeah. And so that's it gets difficult. The recipe is important. And then the constraints against the edibles in your particular market really get in the way. Because like if I'm going to make an edible, I'll create a butter. And then from that, I'll create dosing for like a homemade cookie because you just cannot make good baked goods in a lot of regulated markets like in illinois it has to be specifically apportioned sometimes individually wrapped childproof wrappers so like there's just no weed bakeries out there it really stinks mm -hmm. yeah. so you want to study the competition you want to look at that with intense focus and look at price value proposition to build your product uh, so if you're thinking about manufacturing like a gluten-free paleo bar that's infused with uh, specific strains like Blue Dream. And you might want to take a look at the data uh, before you make that decision. Because, um, uh, you know, a brand that's winning and celebrating health and fitness might work better if you brand it. Because the reality is that the sales just aren't working. You're not going to sell a healthy bar right now. It's too early for the market. So it's much better to be number one in the category like gummies than number five in you know, three various categories. So you kind of want to focus and mm -hmm. pivot to new products only when your original product concept is a home run. Yeah, we just had 1906. Uh, it's an edible company and multi-state operation on the podcast, Cannabis Legalization News. And she was mentioning that they had this new product that they were really excited about out of Colorado, a peanut butter cup. Now that, of course, um, that's great, right? Because now like that's one of the things where when you do have, I mean, it could be, it could be dosed and sealed and hopefully then childproof. Like chocolate has a longer shelf space or shelf life than, um, you know, baked goods. But uh, that's really what it's coming down to. That's differentiation. Uh, people love peanut butter cups. You know, if it's a delicious tasting product and it gets you a buzz, you're going to have a winner. Absolutely. 611 million. This is uh, as of September 2018. So edibles include candies and chocolates, tinctures, pills, beverages, and infused foods. Um, but again, like I mentioned before, I would stay away from beverages. It's way too expensive, entirely way too competitive. We've seen Canopy write off 3 billion and Aurora write off a billion. 
probably a lot of that has to do with beverage manufacturing. But nevertheless, I would definitely recommend including edibles no matter where you're at because a lot of people will go and buy them, especially on a Friday between hours of three and five, a third of all edibles sale between that window in Washington state. So, uh, yeah. And if you can get the license, like in Illinois, the craft grower comes with an infuser license. And so you have the license to create the edibles and then you have the trim. So then you can really invest in whatever type of extraction technology, like a CO2, and then you can distill it out and then you can make your vapes and you can make your, um, well, I'm not sure how good you're going to make your extracts, give it a shot. But then, you know, you can also put a lot of those grams into your, your edibles uh, and it helps move the product. I mean, it's, uh, and then of course the flower always has to come down. And so like those edibles, it provided that you haven't like, you know, infused the, the distillate yet into the gummy itself, the shelf life on distillates, you know, pretty stable. Mm -hmm. Would you recommend companies uh, launch an edible comp uh, an edible brand? I would. Yeah. Especially if it has like a good message and a good product. I mean, so you can uh, keep your, well, uh, it depends. How can you get and how can you price your raw material? If you can find a source of raw material that you can price well, then yes. But uh, if you can't, and then you're at the mercy of somebody who has the extract, then you might have to get more creative and try to engage in some type of licensing agreement to be the, the science behind their, that part of the lab that's the kitchen, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I anticipate that the edibles market is going to mature and that there's going to be just everything out there as normal. It's going to take some of the, the commodity pricing to come down more affordable, but we're already seeing isolate kilo prices at $600. Um, what? Yeah, it used to be 18000 in 2018 for right. water-soluble um, CBD, for example, and then now you're seeing CBG kind of following that same thing. It's crashing a lot faster than CBD did, wow. so that's good. Uh, moving on, I guess, to topicals, not a not a huge seller um, in the topicals market, but topicals uh, like salves and creams and massage oils, they lack the psychoactive effect. So the topical consumers represents a narrow slice of cannabis enthusiasts and the reasons for entering the topicals market should revolve at least in part around the interest in the wellness and health because that's a principal reason behind consumers purchasing those products. And uh, like other broad categories, topical markets is divided into different subcategories like balms and salves, which led for with a 45% in topical sales during the first three quarters of 2019, followed by creams at 17% market share. Patches came in at 10% and other niche categories had a much smaller percentage. And one particular roadblock for entering the topicals market is the potential for need for research and development. Um so it looks like the market is really, it's really small, 59 million in sales during 2017 for California, Colorado, Oregon, and Arizona, and less than 2% of last year's overall nearly $5 billion market. I guess that was for 2018. And um, average age, a little bit older as expected, or I would expect that, 42 years old, 40% have a college degree, uh, two-thirds are employed, half are full-time and reason for consumption, 61% for social, 72% for medical, and 41% for quality of life. Nice. Now, like the, um, the topicals, I think, 
is more of a play for your CBD or the, the cannabinoids aren't really, they don't absorb in the skin. At least that's what I've read and been reported on. If you tune into next week's cannabis legalization, we'll have Dr. Russo on him. Maybe I'll ask mm-hmm. him this. Why does CBD seem to absorb more readily into the skin than THC? And of course, there is the distinction in the cannabinoid system, the endocannabinoid system, where the THC kind of fits your CB1 receptors, which are primarily in your brain. So if you're rubbing C- THC like on your shoulder, you're a long way from your brain's receptors, but your CBD uh, is in your CB2 receptors. And those are more regarding pain. And so like I've heard that CBD is more likely to go through the skin and then the pain receptors that it would be hitting uh, are, you know, your, your CB2 receptors. So they're more spread all throughout the body. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not sure if the THC adult use industry uh, is going to have these types of applications, but the medical applications. So if you have a medical cannabis brand, oh, okay. So if you have a medical cannabis brand, then it's more likely to be um, uh, something that I would want, you know, in my repertoire. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ethan Russo, that's going to be a really interesting interview. Uh, he's a really smart dude. Um, so topicals, it's risky. So your product uh, might get lost on the shelves. You're going to have to do a lot of educating. And I've always said that if you have to educate and then sell, like I'm out, I wouldn't do that. But so you're going to have to translate the benefits and differentiating attributions uh, of your topical products to consumer demands um, and educate them and bud tenders and all of that and uh, seek uh, underserved customers. Um, again, uh, that's tough. Yep. So looking at some of the... Um, the the glossary or whatever we talked about balms and salves patches sprays and massage oils all adding up to about 65.1 million at the uh, end of 2018 um so i don't know i'm not sure that i would really recommend that somebody create a topical uh, a tincture i think you could easily do make a tincture uh, and that i would um if you have the marketing budget i would recommend that but topicals, I'm not sure that I can really recommend it. Even though I use it, I'm not sure I would recommend a company do it unless that's what they were going all in to do. Um, so some of the issues with that, because again, you might be sitting there um, waiting for sales. Uh, and if the sales don't happen, um, you might have an issue if your uh, products contain THC. That's also an issue. Hot hemp was an issue for a lot of people that were buying that. And so just all in all an issue, I think it's less popular for topicals. Um, Tom, it, well, how's topicals selling in uh, Illinois? Is it uh, worth I'm saying not, I wouldn't really recommend people start with topicals. I wouldn't if I had an adult, if I had a THC license, wouldn't go near topicals. Uh, if I had a CBD license, I would absolutely go near topicals. I have two. One was $60 and it's a one-to-one THC CBD blend that I got from the dispensary. And the other one has 500 milligrams of CBD. The one that I got from the dispensary because it's regulated is capped at 100 milligrams of each. And so you can buy stronger, better CBD infused salves from like a farmer's market from a producer of locally grown hemp. So if you are in the hemp licensed business, do it. Definitely. Yeah, because then you can hit all of those underserved people, whoever need it. But if you're trying to reach the masses, going to an underserved market is, you know, your margins are really, really small. Your sales are small. Um, So this is about kind of trying to get to as many people as you can. If you're focused, like you said, Tom, 
Absolutely. Otherwise, I think you're going to probably end up not generating the revenue to stay in business long term. This is a play. This is a big play. This is like getting into beverages. In my opinion, you need a lot of money to stay in business long term if you're going to make uh, topicals. All right. So basically, uh, that's about it. Um, in conclusion, you know, your research is essential. Data is key. You know, with concentrates, go big or um, the boutique route or uh, the, so both concentrates with you go big with boutique or uh, uh, the wholesale market either way. Uh, most leading brands today began their journey with data backed decision making and followed it up with quality production and smart marketing. So um, edibles, we talked about the consumer branding bonanza topicals are from another planet because they're not THC. What are we missing, Tom? Uh, let's talk about how the database decisions actually get made. So if you're trying to get into this industry data, very often it's hard to come by, especially if you don't have any operational knowledge in it. Uh, and then you'd be like, okay, well, I want to do something based on a, a fairly smart play. Who are some data providers that you would go to, to then uh, crunch the numbers and create a, a brand or a product? Hmm. I mean, there's BDSA. I think we're going over there. Isn't this one of their publications right now? Yes, it is, yeah. um, and then after BDSA, uh, I think that was a merger, actually, of two different publications. So after that, there's another company out of Chicago that the Brightfield Group, I mm -hmm. think what they do is they scrape all the websites for like the 6,000 cannabis brands that are out there, especially the ones that are because um, a lot of dispensaries put their menus and then those are dynamic. So the menus are always going off and then they'll just kind of track that to see what data is moving. Uh, now they're going to try to sell you that for a pretty penny. Mm -hmm. It'll be uh, a lot of pennies. But yeah, uh, it's going to charge you eighteen thousand a month if you want to track all of California's data. I don't know if you need to, but eighteen thousand dollars a month is uh, is a pretty penny mm -hmm. uh, for just you know an individual business. <laughs> but right. then again, California is equivalent to the the world's uh, top or fifth um, revenue generator in terms of. Um, uh, um, GDP, oh. gross, gross domestic product. So a huge yeah. state, but it's, nonetheless, it's expensive to, to get all of that data. So that's one of the things that actually happens. And so like, if you're going to try to make that type of smart money bet, that's fine. Uh, you're going to have to be spending a little bit more money on the front end to get that data, to be able to have that back end smart money. But what I would recommend you do then is after you have uh, gotten that data and raised those money for that, you put that like in your pitch deck or your offering statement. And that's one of the things that's a distinguishing feature from you, from all your other competitors. It's like, no, we actually bought this data, sign here, here and here and all the NDAs. We'll hint at it, but we're not going to tell you about it until after you're, you've invested, you know? Right. Yeah. And if you're doing something that's expensive, like creating soda, I would absolutely recommend that you look at granular data because you want to look to see based on zip code, what flavors people are buying. You know, you want to have a certain flavor for hipsters or a certain flavor for other communities. Um, you want to make, really make sure that your inventory profile is set and optimized um, and you're able to not carry too many products um, you know, if 80% of your business is one flavor, then why are you making 29 other flavors just for that 20% of sales? Those are the types of things that that data can kind of really help you to figure out and streamline. Mm -hmm. Very true. 
Perfect. Well, uh, some other products I would probably recommend looking at are pre-rolls. I know we didn't really get into flour too much, but pre-rolls sell a lot. We didn't get into vape carts too much, but I think those two products sell a lot, um, as well as like anything that has, you know, chocolate in it for the edibles market, probably the the top three products that I see on the, the West Coast from Canada down to California. Well, we did hint on the chocolate issue, but then this really wasn't about the uh, vape or the flower. And if you look at like market data of like, you know, how much of that dollar that's spent on marijuana goes to, I'm sorry, cannabis that goes to uh, either a vape cartridge or flower, it's the vast majority. It's like 75% or so. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see that's not already out there? I would like to see grab and go coffee because K Cup is not coffee. <laughs> I'd mm-hmm. like to see ready to go coffee. It could be black, it could be uh, a mocha or whatever. I would like to see uh, infused coffee at twenty or excuse me, ten to fifteen cents per milligram. So that's comparable to a Starbucks. I want it under ten dollars for a hundred milligrams, and I'm going to have to probably wait a couple more years for that. But what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for us to regulate the plant so I can be like, oh, you want to go get a coffee and, and a, you know, a, a muffin? Let's go down to, you know, Jane's muffin and coffees. And like it's there's a certain type of license. And so like they check our ID, but, you know, they can mix you up a drink. Uh, you can go to a brewery and get a drink. And so uh, if they were able to grow their own and then infuse their own like on site. So like you're roasting the coffee contemplating the the uh cultivar that you're going to use and you're making the 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 um uh, the muffins and all that uh with a type of butter that you've specifically grown for that you know and then those types of things where you can actually have the fresh baked and then then that coffee that you take um they, they may have to change public consumption laws but we'll see and so like you'd be able to have a fresh roasted infused coffee and the regulations aren't ridiculous. They aren't requiring you to have like pre-packaged child proof, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's uh that's 2030 me. So by the time 2030 rolls around, I hope I can get that. Yeah. <laughs> reasonable this reasonable goals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Miggy are still waiting for uh, being able to grow at home. You know, we're, well, we're- you got uh, I got my medical card. And so like all my if, I'm assuming that if you got your medical card, you are you are able to grow at home, though, in Washington state. Right. Six. Yeah. Yeah. We were only allowed five. And that's really stupid. So like we're trying to it's five over five inches, which is grotesquely stupid. And so like I'm trying to get them to amend the uh, law so that it's five uh, mature plants so that because like you could be growing plants and you don't even know if it's male or female, you know. Uh, And so then if it gets over five inches, you're like, okay, I guess we're playing, you know, we're rolling the dice here. Let's start flowering them. Ah, now you're down to like three, you know, or or two. Uh, God forbid all five of them would be male. And you have to start all over. And so that's why I think it's it's more appropriate to say five mature plants that would be then defined as in flowering, because then you'd be like, oh, shoot, it's a male. Kill it. Uh, or, you know, you actually have a female and then you could also have a mother and then you could also have, um, you know, uh, and from that mother, then you could be taking clones and vegging them and then flowering them. But that's a sensible thing. That's going to take years of uh, evolution. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go with a, trying to amend the law so anyone twenty one and over can legally grow. Yeah, cool. All right, before we wrap this up, man, anything I f- I left out on this uh, BDS analytics report on what products a cannabis business should produce or create? 
Oh, no, I don't think so. But I would just recommend that, you know, when you do go into your plans for how you're going to execute these strategies, don't forget to like draw up your budgets and take these things into account so that you can understand and value your business because investors are going to want to see that. They aren't going to want to see, well, we're going to make gummies. You know, are, 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 should they create a business plan and pitch deck for uh, for something like this? Uh, it could be part of a more vertically integrated. It could like, you know, you'd have a slide then that would say like, because if you're vertically integrated, the question of what do you do with your trim comes up? Mm. You know, it just does. And so like, what about not just your trim, but then, you know, powdery mildew, something. So the THC that's in it is fine, but you're not going to fricking sell it, you know? Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's could also be a remediation factor. And so it, it, and then that could say throwing that entire crop in the garbage uh, versus throwing it into the extractor might be worth tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. And and all those things should go in there. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're going to have a pitch deck for it or like part of your business plan, I mean, uh, it could be part of a larger business plan because each one of these might be a license type. So like doing that might be three different license types or one in the case of Illinois Craft Grow, but you should definitely address it and put it into your type of pro forma so you could really understand what the uh, enterprise value of your company should be. Yeah, and to your point, you don't really necessarily know if you're going to get powdery mildew or what the issue is, but having the ability to extract and, and create an, uh, you know, a concentrate <clears throat> from something that you wouldn't be able to sell flour saves you potentially hundreds of thousands or even millions. Not only that, though, we've seen a lot of fires. And so in 2018 was the first case we saw with the uh, fires in eastern Oregon blowing um, mold spores through filters and causing a lot of that flour to to come up uh, positive with uh, with bacteria and mold uh, from testing. And so you don't really know what's going to happen. There's a lot more fires now than there ever have been. And so I think maybe if fire season is a new thing, that's risk management or mitigation to have an extraction where if you can't sell the flour, then you can maybe uh, turn it into a product that you can sell and use. Yeah. And I don't think fire season's not going to be a thing. I mean, even going back to the Grateful Dead, they were talking about fire in the mountain uh, in the seventies, but uh, now it appears that it's just gotten worse because of global warming. So those fires are probably going to still be there. And that really sucks because of the wonderful climate that they have for outdoor cultivation in that area. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So who knows, we might be seeing some, um, according to our crystal ball predictions, uh, we were going to see some international expansion and some uh, investment uh, surges, um, a lot of legalization. That's our number one thing. Last year was number two. So legalization uh, is going to be a big thing. Uh, not so much pr price and profit that's been pushed from number one last year to, I think, like number eight, like near the bottom. Um, so a lot of changes. But I think uh, really nobody really knows what's what's going to happen. So you want to um, try to add as many things as you can, right? So add, add concentrates, add edibles, all of these things, get your pitch deck together, let your investors know that you've done your homework, um, so that you can kind of uh, have as many products out there and diversify as much as possible. Absolutely. Maximize the license that you have. I mean, if you have the license to do it, do it, you know, and then budget for it. And then of course it's, uh, Pick the th it's kind of like at McDonald's. Remember, you know, when they were creating McDonald's, they were like, these four menu items are 85% of our profit. You know, find those four items and then hit it. Mm -hmm. That's it. All right. Let's wrap this up right there. I want to thank my guest, Tom Howard. He's an attorney out in Illinois, as well as host of Cannabis Legalization News. Tom, you got any, uh, any links or shout outs? 
Uh, yeah, we are moving. Our our flagship site is my law blog, CannabisIndustryLawyer.com. That should be live on Amazon Web Services, hopefully by next week. And so it should be a lot quicker. And then uh, Cannabis Legalization News is getting a refresh. And so like we actually uh, take some of Josh's uh, most popular videos from the week and then we do an article on that. We throw that on to CannabisLegalizationNews.com. So go over there and subscribe to our newsletter. Yes. All right. I want to thank Tom Howard. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. And check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.